So welcome to the Awe and Wonder AAC podcast. Today we have Nikki Ship and Joanna Blanchard. <laughs> so why don't you um, go ahead and introduce yourself, ladies? Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nikki Ship. Um, I am the parent of an autistic son, and I also have a podcast called Pieces for My Puzzle. Thanks for coming, Nikki. Hi, everyone. I'm Joanna Blanchard. I'm an occupational therapist um, and have been working in the schools and in various settings for about 22 years now. And I'm a parent of um, a young man, 18-year-old with autism. Oh, and I also work for um, the Special Education Support Center, Cadre, which supplies continuing ed for um, educators around the state of Washington. Thank you for coming, Joanna. So first of all, we want you guys to tell us just a little bit about your child and how they currently communicate. And then we're going to get into some of the challenges and some of the successes that you've had so we can learn from you. So Nikki, tell us a little bit about your kiddo. Okay. Uh, my son, Drayson, is 10 years old now. He'll be 11 in February. And uh, he currently communicates... Um, in fragmented sentences, when he was first diagnosed, he was actually nonverbal. So we communicated initially with uh, pics and nonverbal cues. Um, he has since started to develop speech, which is absolutely we're thrilled about. Um, sometimes too talkative, sometimes, <laughs> um, but uh, or can be, I should say. Um, but but we are now learning how to. Uh, formulate more complete sentences with him. His speech is still very fragmented. And so a lot of times we have to help him be able to add words to his speech component. So we still do a lot of nonverbal cues as well. And we also communicate by color zones so we can help identify his emotions. Okay. And so do you use a communication device at all with him? No, it was suggested once in his school to use um, an AAC device with him when uh -huh. he was younger, um, but we were never, unfortunately, able to get that approved with at the school that he was at. Okay. Um, so what I really worked with um, his in-home care team to develop goals to help him try to develop that speech. Okay. And they came in, they did come in with AAC devices initially when we were developing those in-home goals. Okay. Okay. And does he have literacy skills? He does. Um, he, um, he does also have dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia, but we're, okay. but he, we're able to now tie in the comprehension piece now that he's been doing some, uh, work on the dyslexia. Okay. Okay. And yeah. Nikki, remind me, how old is he? He's 10. 10. He's 10 and he'll be 11 in February. Yes. Okay. And what is your, what does your current school situation look like? What school are you at? Um, so Drayson attends um, a school called Autism Academy here in Arizona. And um, it is a classroom setting of no more than 16 kids. There's one teacher and there's four um, aides in the classroom to help with support. He used to need full-time para support, but now uh, we've graduated in, into doing most tasks independently, but there are aides in the classroom in case he needs help. But he's in a, he's in a more of a specialized school to help him with um, some of the services that he needs. 
Okay. And um, a little while later, we'll find out about how you came to that decision and why that was best for him. But let's yes. just introduce Joanna and um, learn about Dan here. Hello. So I have an 18 year old son named Dan. Um, and he, his communication varies depending on the situation and his kind of state of regulation. So Dan communicates with uh, we we kind of take whatever we can get with Dan. I love um, I love the what I've learned from the Sati philosophy of love the one you're with. So we do a lot of that with whatever he's um, accessing at the time. So we use um, primarily we are working on the Avaz app. So it, it's an app on his iPad that is a. Um, a language generator. Um, um, it's kind of like Proloquo, only I like it so much better. <laughs> okay. And so we've uh, graduated from, we've tried LAMP and we've tried Proloquo and, and I landed on this one after doing some researches and, and it's been a much better match for us. So he's still learning um, to navigate that and we're modeling a lot with him. But we also use a letter board when his um, state of regulation is really challenged. He's learned a lot of skills with his with his hands <laughs> to communicate with his hands when he's frustrated, and um, that has worked in the past. And so, um, and so we're really trying to reframe some of that and help him express himself in other ways. But Dan can answer yes or no questions. He does single word utterances. Um, sometimes we'll get a scripted sentence, functional scripting. And um, he does a lot of gesturing and pointing. Um, you can kind of read Dan pretty well if you know him. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll also use a whiteboard to circle or spell or indicate choice, choices. The letter board, we are working on literacy with. He has some literacy skills. So we'll work on um, finding the first letter of what he wants to tell me about. So. Um, Yesterday, he went to the tree farm to do his transition program. So he's in the transition program um, through Battleground School District, and he goes to a work site at a tree farm. And I asked him what he did at the tree farm, and we found plants on his app, and he um, chose weeds and plant. And I was like, oh, did you pull some weeds? And he had plant. And I was like, Yes, there are a lot of plants at the tree farm. Um, but then he said, um, I heard from his para later that they had planted some trees. So he did, he's doing a good job working on working on telling us about his day. Yes. Joanna, um, in a nutshell, for all the SLPs out there who, when you said, we just love a vase, <laughs> I know they're going to be like, what? What exactly did you like about it that made you think? But is there just like in a nutshell, a couple things about it that you can share? Yeah, you know, mostly we had a hard time. I wanted something that was easy for us as caregivers and partners in communication. I wanted something that was easily accessible and friendly for us as a family. And so this seemed to be a really good match for Dan and us. I had a hard time um, programming and, and editing some of those other apps. And this one is super easy, 
super user-friendly, quick to edit, quick to add, quick to move things around. Um, categorically, it's it's simpler for us. And um, visually, I just liked it all around, but it also has some nice features like a lot of customer support and you can um, share it with your speech therapist and they can also edit. And then um, you can text your child or text back and forth with it. So he can send me a text. So, mm -hmm. um, so I just like uh, several things about it. Yeah. So kind of user-friendly is a big piece. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah. I knew we we're going to have a few people wondering about that. So little statement. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go off script already. Sorry about this guys, but I'm thinking about that Dan is 18 and that Grayson is 10 and we have like 28 years of parenting experience in front of us. And I want to just go back to the very beginning for just a minute about maybe when you received the diagnosis or when you had the mom feeling and the gut feeling and kind of those beginning thoughts in case there are parents who are like just receiving a diagnosis at this moment or just understanding what this is. I know sometimes autism tends to run in families and people are really, really familiar because they have cousins and aunts and uncles and all these things and other people, it doesn't run in families and they are Googling the word autism, right? So I just want to know if you were speaking to a parent who had re recently uh, received a diagnosis for their child and their child is not communicating very well, which is part of why they're they, we were looking for the diagnosis to begin with, right? Sometimes that's the communication piece is the thing that kind of leads you to looking further. What advice do you have for these parents? Joanna, let's have you go first. Um, I, oh gosh, you know, 20 years ago, um, 18 years ago when, when my son was born and then uh, 16 years ago when he was diagnosed, things were so different. Things were so different. And, um, and so it was a really confusing time. And, and I had a color coded schedule of all of the therapies that we did and all the, you know, interventions that we had going on. And, um, I wouldn't look back and say, yeah, trust your gut because I knew, I knew, I knew pretty early, but then I was, I was in at the time I was in, um, early intervention. So I, I knew the signs, the subtle signs, and everyone told me I was crazy. Um, but I, I just knew pretty quickly. And then I would say the biggest thing that I tell parents is that, um, well, one, we're working in broken systems or systems that aren't set up for um, really seeing the positive things about autism and neurodiversity. And so when you go to the meetings and you are first trying to understand the systems and how they work, um, you get overwhelmed and then, and you're afraid of being that mom, <laughs> um, that mom. And, and you have to understand that, you know, the system's set up to make us that kind of mom um, because of, you know, the lack of resources and kind of the parents who came before you with that team, they might be traumatized. Um, so I just remind people that, um, that they're, it's okay to just be the mom. You don't have to be the therapist. You don't have to be the professional, just be the mom. And, and that's what your child needs. 
the most from you because we, we really do try to take it on and, and you become a social worker, um, really trying to coordinate all of these services and find the best things. And um, it's okay to be an emotional mom. You don't have to be a professional at that table all the time. Um, I feel like there's a double standard with you know the PTA mom or the soccer mom who loses their stuff at the sideline when their kids get fouled, right? We've all felt like that, <laughs> like how dare you? Mm-hmm. And we you know lose our temper or we have all these big feelings. But when you do it at an IEP table, you're labeled the crazy mom. And I think that's mm-hmm. something. Um, I I think that's a I think that's a portrayal in the special education world that's harmful. So I feel like um, that's super good, good work, Um, Joanna. So, you know, trust your gut, allow yourself to be emotional and remind yourself that your first role is mom and you're not meant to be the expert. Nikki, what's your experience? What tell us a little bit about what you would would advise parents receiving that initial diagnosis and kind of what you've been through. Um, I, I knew for a while, uh, Drayson was diagnosed at the age of three, but I probably had a good indication close to a year prior. There was just some unusual behaviors that were taking place that I just knew wasn't normal two-year-old behavior. Um, and he wasn't talking much. And so I, I began to get concerned. Um, and even in the last seven years, uh, kind of like Joanna just described, it's changed so much even in the last seven years. Um, even seven years ago, it was really hard for the people around us to understand. Um, and it is overwhelming. You get flooded with questions. And um, I think the biggest advice I would have for parents is that you have to make a decision first on where your mindset is and how you're going to handle it. And um, I agree, allow yourself to feel what you need to feel, but know that um, that sometimes you have to be that crazy, quote unquote, crazy mom <laughs> to kind of to get the, the care or the, the training that your child needs. My whole goal was to get the right care team in place so that I still could be mom. Um, I think the hardest part is we wear so many hats and I felt like I was getting away from being a mother because I was, you know, in that social worker aspect, like Joanna had just mentioned. So I think the biggest advice I would have is first, you know, um, empower yourself, shift your mindset the way that you need to shift your mindset and to also believe in your child, um, have the belief that they're capable, but, um, finding those tools and resources is what's going to potentially that's the only way you're going to find out, right? If I didn't try to find any of these resources for Drayson, I would never know that he would have been potentially starting to speak. Nikki, so go ahead. I was just going to ask, um, what kind of resources did you find helpful when you were talking about this? Um, I went to um, an initial parent um, orientation um, at SARC, at the Southwest Autism Research and Resource Center. And in that parent training, um, they basically helped by giving me a checklist, you know, um, and my same thing, the person that diagnosed Drayson, our developmental pediatrician, gave us a checklist of things to do. And it's very daunting. A lot of parents um, that we've spoken to, sometimes they're, they don't, 
they're just told no. And then they go, oh, okay, well, they told me they couldn't help me. Um, I think it's also just not settling for that. But um, Drayson has speech and OT um, in home and at school. He has um, a ABA based home based therapy here in the home. Um, and now he has dyslexia tutoring. So these are things that we've developed over the years to help get more care for him and more of those goals, uh, focusing more on goals so that we can help him achieve some of the things that we're trying to help him with. So, and go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was just curious about the setting that he's in now and how did that journey take place? Uh, from in school or? Yeah, for school. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, <laughs> Brenda, Brenda knows the story because I've, I've uh, confessed my bleeding heart to her about some of the stuff we've been through with Drayson. But Drayson was initially in a public school setting. He was um, in an integrated classroom and, and did well. Um, however, you know, not super social, right? We thought that that might help him with some peer modeling. Um, but we made the decision to transfer him to a school that um, helped uh, autistic people, basically, um, K through high school. And part of that was just because we weren't getting some of the results um, at the other school no no insult to them but i just don't think that they were well equipped to help him with what he needed and in all honesty sarah i really wish that they would have just told me that um instead we went through um, a three-year journey of just i can't even tell you the amount of personal therapy i probably should be going through from that like we just talked about the ptsd of an iep but um you want to see a crazy mom and I mean, you go in there and you're just so emotionally um, over the top. So we we made the decision finally to put him in a, in a uh, different educational institution that would be more suited for him and have more resources. And it it wasn't something that I knew immediately. I kind of learned over time because, again, nobody said to me, listen, you know, we love Drayson, but he's just we just don't have the right resources here. No school. No school tells you that. They're not going to tell you that. So Nikki, you know, there's a real big push for inclusion right now across the nation. And what was, what was, why didn't it work? Um, I didn't, well, exactly that there wasn't inclusion. I mean, there were things happening that shouldn't have been happening. There were, and I'll give you a very simple example. Um, Drayson had a full-time para at the school. And he was independent enough that he could walk to the line to wait in line at school, you know, in the beginning of the school day and then walk into the classroom with his peers. And then same thing, he should be able to walk out at the end of the day with his peers and wait in line until we got, we picked him up. And I found out that they were taking him to the front office. And I don't know what my son feels or doesn't feel, but I know that if I was taken out of a line and I'm not doing anything wrong, and I don't know why I'm being moved from the other kids to go someplace else, I, that tells me that I might feel differently about who I am, or I might feel like I'm different, right? I don't know that. I'm assuming that because he was not included with his peers. Well, I found out that the reason for it was it was a scheduling thing for them. It was easier for the para to walk him up to the front or to escort him from the front when she clocked in or out. 
it didn't matter whether or not he was standing in line for 10 minutes with his peers. And for me, those 10 minutes every day, so even if you had that twice a day, 20 minutes a day times five is 100 minutes a week of peer exposure. Mm -hmm. And they weren't simple things like that. I was trying to put into context of if you don't include him in the group, then he's not going to feel included and he's mm -hmm. going to resist. And because he was verbal, it was it was tantrums. It was no, it was screaming. It was this or mm -hmm. I don't want to. And and what I realized was they were moving him around so much and they were being so inconsistent that it was confusing for him. Mm. It was confusing for him. And as much as I tried to make sure that they were structuring that in a way that that could be helpful for him, it just wasn't getting done. Mm -hmm. And um, and then that also translated through the IEP goals. We had some goals that we had been working on for two years that he had not mastered, that he mastered within 10 months at this other place. Mm hmm. And I have to believe that's because the right tools and resources were in place for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Joanna, we've talked with you a little bit about your IEP journey um, a bit. <laughs> and, um, and, and now Dan's in a different, a new, a new setting within the public school that he's uh, district that he's in, but it, this is new for him. Want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And boy, Nikki, do I feel you deeply on all of those things? I mean, um, we kind of took a different tag, me, me being, um, knowing the ins and outs of the schools, um, and having worked there, I, um, I really made them toe the line. Um, and, and that was a lot of, um, work for me. And, um, I really went into it to change systems, um, for Dan and for other kids. And I don't know that I would do that the same way looking back, but this year, Dan, um, is in a transition program. So he graduated from high school and he's in a transition program that is basically, um, four days a week at a learning at a job site, Right. So um, we're looking at pre-vocational skills and um, uh, a transition program usually includes um, the thought that you're going to transition to adult world when you're done. And so the the idea is to have um, work skills that are marketable when he's mm -hmm. done and a resume. So he is four days a week. Um, two days a week at a local tree farm, Christmas tree farm, which is his very favorite thing to do on the planet. Um, mm -hmm. And then two days a week at a vineyard. And then one day a week at the, we call it the office, which is um, an off campus um, house where the transition program um, builds those kind of soft skills and life skills. So it's I love that. Awesome, right? Yeah. And we really <laughs> had to advocate for him to be. Um, to have that program because he um, tr traditionally kids um, his age aren't aren't on the work site four days a week. But for Dan, he was so burned out on school by the time he graduated. Um, he had been asked to do the same things and working on the same goals for so long. 
that if you asked him to write his name one more time, that he demonstrated a million times, literally a million times over the past um, long education, he was triggered. Um, hmm. so, um, so we really needed to get him out of a traditional school setting so that he could thrive. So yeah, he's in know, a real meaningful, meaningful setting right now that's authentic for him, yeah. Yes, I know, and it, I love and that. Should have been for should have been for a couple of years, I think at least. Yeah. Yep. I think that kids, when you are asking them to do the same thing over and over, especially people with autism, like my my kids have always been like, I've I've done that. I've written my name. I've colored that sheet. Like enough. Yeah. So I think we get. I don't know if we get into data collection, if the IEP is running the show too much, what we're doing, but we're testing and we're retesting. And then, then the new school year starts and we start again. And I, we don't, we don't know why that's still there. And, and the kids are having to prove themselves every year in order to move on or move forward. And so I want to know, since you both sound like at the moment, you're in a pretty successful environment, what may, what, what, got you here like what made these meetings successful what what has made meetings at your new school successful nikki and what had made what got this successful setting for your son joanna like what 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 are what strategies did you use to get your child right where they should be now nikki um well one thing that you know i really looked at and i i'm a research nerd by nature um was i kept asked i i looked at the data i kept asking for the data to support where some of the progress were on the goals and that started to become a little concerning for me where he was at because i they weren't giving me any data to support how they would reach oh he's reached 60 percent of this goal okay great well how are you tracking that um I think what's worked for us now and over the years, something I've learned is just for lack of better words, going in like, I might not know everything, but they're going to think I know it all. And I hate to say that, but it's true um, in terms of I have a notepad with questions ready to go. Um, I ask for a copy to make sure that the copy of the IEP is sent to me ahead of time so that I have time to review it before I walk in the door. Um, I bring paperwork with me. Drayson has a huge thick binder, which I think we can all agree the um, mounds and mounds of paperwork, right? That we have to go through. <laughs> so I know it's so a good I have thing a Joanna sends planting more trees, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I, I have a binder, a, a huge, thick three ring binder tabbed with everything. I mean, I've had even in, in evaluations them to go as far as to say after first year at this other school that they didn't have a diagnosis. Did I really have a diagnosis for Drayson? So it's something as simple as having that copy of the diagnosis with me on file um, and also giving them supported documents. What do they need to get that full picture? because they're only seeing one part of it, right? Mm -hmm. And I always say, I'm, it takes, I have my tribe, it takes a village. And so um, anything that they had questions on or what type of goals are you working on in the home or anything that they needed information on, I made sure that I had that binder with me so that they can make a copy of it right there, sight on scene. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if necessary, I've, I've had times where I come to the IEP meetings with an advocate um, and I have, uh, or even with a care team, like I said, mentioned earlier, Dryson has in-home ABA um, behavioral therapy here in the home and the care team um, has been so gracious enough that the clinical coordinator has gone as well to some of those IEP appointments. So whatever goals are being aligned at school, if there's anything that we can do in home, we try to make sure that that all aligns. Mm-hmm. Nikki, I'm curious because, so being prepared, um, having the documents the, to show, and then you said like having some questions ready. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, you probably didn't always have the same questions ready or know what questions you wanted to ask. Um, right. Did, did you talk to other parents? Um, how did you um, not really, to be honest with you, it was the questions were always based off of what I saw in the IEP. So if I didn't understand something, even something as simple as a terminology, I would ask or I would take it upon myself to go look it up so that I could try to understand, which I do realize sounds very laborious. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, to understand some of these documents, which we can all agree, an IEP is like it's not going to be the most thrilling read you've ever had in your life, but just to try to understand it. So a lot of times I would ask questions. Um, I consulted with my advocate on certain questions, like could it help me to understand this? And if I couldn't disseminate that, what that defined to me, then I would ask in the IEP meeting. Um, a lot of parents that I've spoken to, I was, I didn't really have another mentor, if I should say, or parent that, that knew kind of what questions to ask. Um, Every parent that I've spoken to, or almost every parent I've spoken to, has said the exact same thing that I said going in, and that's that I'm just completely confused. Mm. And so um, I just really looked to his care team on what questions to ask and and the advocate. Mm -hmm. Right. Joanna, what what successfully got your son into this four day a week amazing planting situation that he's thriving in? <laughs> well, some of it was straight up mama bear, crazy mom. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, he did do a lot of fierce advocacy because it is outside of the box. But I also know the law. I know what he's entitled to for his future, and I knew what a transition plan looked like for his peers and demanded that that look the same for him with the accommodations and modifications that he's entitled to through FAPE. So I know the lingo and I know how to um, to make people do what's in, what they're required to by law. And that carries a lot of weight. Um, I also, very similarly, I found my tribe. Um, I found my allies. I am, um, again, I, I use that tool of empathy, of understanding where school professionals were coming from and knowing what the caseloads were like. And so I brought a lot of empathy and made connections and relationships with the team because it really is about relationships, right? And so I, I fostered those relationships as much as I could. And I found our allies and I found um, our champions, really. And so one of the ways that we got him into this great program was that hey, there was a floral arts teacher who took him on because he's always loved nature and um, and kind of been an artist. And so 
she took him into her Jenna floral arts class for four years. And uh, Mary Sorensen is our champion, was our champion. And no matter what happened, she was there for him and she wanted him in her class. And he was able to grow those skills and make connections in the community. And that really enabled us to really figure out what he wanted to do with his life and follow through with his dreams. So um, a lot of relationship building um, and pushing and understanding the law. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, really pushing the team to presume confidence. I got really tired of him having to prove himself over and over um, as well. Um, but I really had to make sure they were presuming confidence in him and understanding he's very capable, even though he looks scary on paper. Um, Setting high expectations for him. Yeah, it made all the difference. So, um, and I don't, I don't think any of us um, can be represented on a piece of paper. So I do want to ask you guys, first of all, tell us like what, what makes your kid tick? I mean, what, what, what make, tell us about your kid's personality. And with that in mind, who gets your kid outside of your family in the professional world? Who got, who got that? Who saw that? Who, who does your kiddo just like because they feel seen and heard? Um, so Nikki, tell us a little bit about Grayson. What's, what's makes him tick? What makes him like, what's motivates him? What's, what scary thing does he do? But it's, he's at just cause he's excited. Like what, what can be, tell us a little bit about his personality who he is. Uh, um, he is such a sweet child. He's such a sweet boy. Um, he, he loves he doesn't necessarily engage in play, but he loves to be around people still, even though he doesn't really show it. I know that sounds odd, but I think that relationships are really important to him. Um, he loves to go swimming. He loves to, um, he of course, my phone rings. I knew this was going to happen. Um, uh, he loves to go swimming. He loves movies. He loves, um, all, he's just, he's got a lot of characteristics of just a normal child. But I um, want to just interrupt you one second because you're saying he's really social. He likes being around people, but it doesn't look like that to the rest of us, right? It doesn't. It so doesn't. he's not interrupting. He's not trying to engage. He might even be pacing around conversations, but not without actually engaging. But that's exactly right. where he wants to be. Right, right. He and wants I think to be, that it, that behavior can be misinterpreted and we can say, yes. oh, he's uncomfortable. That, that looks like nervous energy. Oh, he doesn't want to be around people. Let's pull him out. Yeah. Let's do something else. And that's a big deal. Right. And so we've tried to just surround ourselves too with people that understand and, and also help give them awareness. So um, a lot of our friends, um, even extended family, we've tried to explain that it's so important that he's still in that room even mm -hmm. if it appears that he doesn't want to be. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes he even comes out now. So um, like if somebody accidentally says a bad word, he'll pipe in and say, don't say that word. <laughs> <laughs> or we say this and not that. And you're like, okay, great. Now I've got, now I'm getting, now I'm getting parented. Perfect. Right. <laughs> um, but, but it's I, so typical I, though. Yeah, it, like is. Sure. it is. And the other day he walked by the television and he was just walking by the room and, and heard somebody say the F word. And he said, no, it's freaking, it's freaking. He says, he tells, he's correcting even the television. So 
Um, so, but I have such an appreciation for that. And, the, you know, the first thing that I said to the director of the school where he's at is that she said, what do you want me to know about Drayson? And I said, he is such a sweet, wonderful person that is poorly misunderstood. Mm. That's the best way that I knew how to describe it. Mm -hmm. And our perceptions of what we think and what we feel are our own perceptions. I can't always speak for him, but I can guess. And that's the best that I can do. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's important that um, because he used to not be in the room with other people and sometimes he'll go and he'll go sit by himself. But when he does, I realize that that's probably him having to calm the noise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nikki, I love that what you said about, um, first of all, I love that the school said, what do you want us to know about him? Right. What, what an easy, wonderful question. And then yeah. love how you describe that. That's special. Yeah. So uh, who are his favorite people and how do you, how do you know that? Um, well, he, his teacher that he had last year, um, is his name's Mr. David. He doesn't have him this year, but, um, adores, he just, Drayson adores him. And the first time we saw him identify emotion, I was, um, last year, he, he was crying right before bed and I asked him what was wrong. And he said that he was sad and I asked him why he felt sad. And he told me that he missed Mr. David. Oh, wow. And I knew he was in the right place because the first day that I dropped him off at that school, I was so excited to pick him up. He was angry that I showed up to pick him up from school. <laughs> Almost tried to kick the front bumper of my car. Like, no, how dare you? I'm not going home with you. Oh. And told Mr. David, I love you on the first day. Wow. And I was like, what? And he goes, gosh, I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even. I scored big. I already got an, I love you. And I said, what? <laughs> so, um, I think because Mr. David just, um, just held a high belief in him from the very beginning. And that's what all I've wanted as a parent from his care team. And I have quote unquote fired people from his care team because I feel like they don't have the belief that they need to have in him. There's a difference between providing therapy or providing a service or providing goals or writing up IEPs. Um, there's a difference between that. And there's a difference between believing in these children being capable. And so I have been very selective about picking those personality types. I mean, I have chills because, you know, this is my platform, believing in people. But I also um, have chills because that teacher has a high bar, believes in him, and your kid saw it day one. Yeah. One thing about him is what you see is what you get. If he, if he gets the wrong vibe from you, that's it. <laughs> going to be a long year. Yep. Going to be a long year. Yes. Good luck with that. Let me know how that goes. because connection is oh important. Yeah. They smell yeah. it. They know. Yeah, they know it. They yeah. know it. His intuitiveness, in my opinion, is so strong. And that's one of the biggest underestimated things about him. Mm. Yeah. If I can just Absolutely. chime in on that as yeah. a, as a um, person who thinks about neurology a lot and, and kind of geeks out about it. Um, the more we know about neurodiversity, the more we know that our um, autistic individuals are really um, attuned to things in the environment that we may not be aware of, which also means emotions um, and 
um, small, subtle body language signs that we may not even be registering. And so this theory that um, people with autism don't pick up on subtle signs or read emotions is, um, is, is not true. Sometimes they're overwhelmed by the amount of emotions in the room or the amount of nonverbals happening in the room. Yeah. So we're really learning. Um, and that is something that Dan shows over and over. He may not look typical, typically social, but he cares about it. He cares about um, what you think of him. He gets upset if someone hurts his feelings and he reads people very quickly. So who are his people, Joanna? <laughs> um, so the, our, little, our champion, um, the floral teacher, um, she loves him. He loves her. They get each other. They respect each other. Um, I was lucky, just like Nikki, I had a hard time finding parents with common ground for probably a decade. Um, I tried all of the groups and the Facebook groups. And, and I also worked with some really cool parents as their therapists. But um, it really wasn't until I found a, a couple of moms that had the same uh, sense of humor <laughs> I do and the same perspective um, and and we're kind of at the same place in the evolution of you know stepping into our own as advocates who didn't care as much about pleasing our team as getting our team to work for us and our child and understanding that our child is awesome um, and we don't necessarily need to fix everything so um, we happened to meet through therapy circles um, they were getting therapy and I was giving therapy <laughs> and they were so skilled and funny. Um, after I stopped providing therapy in those settings, we ran into each other. And, and now um, they're two of the moms that I rely on the most, but our kids also connect. So they have kids with autism and, and those are Dan's people. And when we get together, Dan is very much on the periphery of that circle um, so we'll be sitting around talking and Dan will be pacing around the periphery. Um, my friend's daughter will be on her iPhone, just looking like she's totally checked out. And our, my other friend's son will be um, watching a movie and they look like they're not paying attention to each other, but they're hanging out and that's how they hang out and they're each other's people. And I think you want someone to love your kid, like no matter what your who your kid is like we love people to love our kids that's how you capture our hearts and so they love my kid and I love their kids um and that's hard to find sometimes so those are our those that's our tribe yeah you guys in the chat you know we have people who are trying to be champions the best they can right we all our teachers our therapists they want to do their best um in the chat they're wondering, you know, what is it about the IEPs that when they are, do feel relevant, when they do feel good? I'm hearing a lot about the connection. It's about that connection piece. Um, it's about high expectations. Anything else you would add about that? About, and specifically, like, how can we um, incorporate parent voice in IEP goals? Nikki, do you want to go ahead or? Um. You can go ahead first if you okay. want to join him. Go ahead. Um, okay. So for a good IEP, I look for strength-based um, instead of uh, deficit-based. Uh, I don't want to hear about his 
um, his struggles anymore. <laughs> so I look for, um, and I look for child-centered or student-centered. So really about what dance schools are in his life, what he cares about, what we care about functionally. Um, as soon as he hit middle school, it was like, we are done coloring. We are done practicing our name. We are done with handwriting. It's time to think about functionally where Dan is gonna be in his adult life and move him in that direction. Um, and so we really started thinking about um, how he communicated his knowledge and adapting um, the general education curriculum that his peers were having um, to be modified so that Dan could really participate in that same level of um, knowledge, just pre presenting in a different way. So modifications and, and accommodations on the um, IEP were super important. Having a one-to-one, -one, I know people are down on one-to-ones, but if Dan didn't have the support of a one-to-one, -one, and actually he's two-to-one now, um, he would not be able to attend general ed classes. He wouldn't be successful in gen ed without one-on-one -on -one support. And so he would be in the life skills classroom all day. And that's not acceptable to me. So having that support, that person to go with him and advocate with him and help him um, enabled us to have, be, have inclusion for him. So, um, and then as far as goals, that needs to be hammered out with the team as a team decision. Um, We've had a lot of discussions about goals. And I think when you come to the meeting and you craft an IEP together, right? You craft this year long document. It really, you really have to take it seriously and think about what's relevant. I know that a math goal, a really convenient math goal is to uh, read an analog clock, but how many kids are reading an analog clock anymore? Like no one is reading an analog clock. Um, except for in the school room. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think making sure your goals are relevant, making sure they're kid-centered, strength-based, um, and with the parents' input. Thanks, Joanna. Yeah. I'm writing that in the chat so I can remember to keep that. Nikki, what about you? Do you have anything to add? Or... Um, no, very similar, but I think it's... Um... You know, IEPs are so difficult, and I I say that because I, I understand the importance of them, but I also think we've gotten away from the true heart of, of some of the matter um, when it comes to any special needs child. And um, I think that that's, it's hard to articulate in a document, right? Because every child's different. So um, I have to agree with Joanna in terms of strength-based. I think the hardest thing for me was I always heard what he couldn't do or what he wasn't mastering or what, you know, but not necessarily, here's a strength, how can we cultivate that? Um, and I do realize that the IEP is different than, you know, a home-based goal. We're talking more behavioral, maybe in home and at school, it's more educationally based. So I, I do see the difficulty in that. Um, but I think the important part is to, if I had to give advice to educators, it's it's to do your due diligence to ask the parents and to continually reach out. I understand that the caseload's heavy. I understand there's a lot to do, but I requested an IEP review after six weeks after the first start of a new school year if he was in the middle of an IEP. And that was because I knew that things might have changed. 
um, to write a year-long document is not necessarily going to be the most feasible thing where you know we had to rewrite and shift that IEP goal mid-year um, to try to at least get him to try to get to that goal and see what works. And I realize that sometimes that's like throwing darts. But I think um, it's to feel more of, of gain that insight. If you need outside documents, request sign off to, you know, allow the the outside speech therapist to talk to the the school speech therapist, allow the outside OT, make sure that all the dots are connecting. And a parent might not know necessarily to do that. So be okay maybe suggesting or asking for that information. This was just so, so helpful, you guys. I um I agree that the I, I agree with Nikki and that um you know the IEP is was had good heart behind it and it's a necessary evil sometimes. I was um uh, talking to parents during the pandemic and saying, okay, so now we're going to be online for March, 2020. Have you talked to your speech therapist? And parents didn't even know the names of their school-based therapists and because they hadn't had their IEP yet. Right. And it's like, that's the only time they're meeting each other is in this meeting. And I don't know about you guys, but as a professional, that's not my best version. And every mom I've ever talked to about it is never saying the best version of me is the IEP version of me. Right. <laughs> So that kind of brings us to a question we're asking all of our podcast people um, at the end, because we really want, if if they've only ever met you in an IEP meeting, but seriously, we really do want to know, what do you as a parent of a child with autism want people to know about you? Just as a parent, like, what do you wish people knew about you? Because they're seeing a clip here and a clip there and their version is not complete. So I really want to know, what do you want people to know about you as a parent of a child with autism? Nikki? Um, gosh, that's such a, that's a big question. Um, and so, well, I'm, I'm so much more than just Drayson's mom. Um, yes, you but, are. But, um, but I think if I had to pinpoint in relation to this topic, it would be that I, I just want people to know that it's so important to support parents. And it's so important to support the parents and to help them and to, even if you don't know the answers, to believe in those parents, to be okay, to find those services and resources for their children. I think that that's been the biggest struggle for me personally on my journey. Um, you know, he, he there's so many different definitions and versions of me. I'm really nice. I'm a lot of fun. I like red wine. I like happy hours. I like doing all those things. But like, I know that sometimes I'm just wearing this hat all the mm -hmm. time. And so I do like breaking in with sense of humor. I want, I want my child to be able to see me, you know, laughing maybe with his care team or engaging and seeing that we're all there for him. But I think for me personally, um, it's been my, it's been my core support. And I realize that not every person has that. Um, so I just want people to know that it's so important to support parents that have special needs children. Um, and if you don't know anything about it, take it upon yourself to learn, be mm -hmm. willing to ask questions. It, you know, if, how can I help? How can I help? How can I support you? 
Um, I don't know a lot about autism, but is there anything that I can do? You know, I mean, try asking that question to a parent and they're not going to even know what to say because <laughs> chances are they've never even been asked that. Mm-hmm. And they can also listen to your podcast. Yeah. More insight. <laughs> tell us again what it's called nikki so i have a podcast that i just launched in february called pieces for my puzzle and um i wanted to create a platform to help parents to feel empowered to feel inspired and to feel hopeful um, as well as resources of things they can do to help uh, their child on the spectrum and I wish that I would have had something like this, but I'm also grateful for my journey as hard as I've, you know, I'm sure we can all, we've all have our stories, right? But um, I'm very grateful for that journey because it wouldn't have gotten me to the point of, of doing, releasing this podcast. But I think um, it's, it's me being, I guess, a little bit of a squeaky wheel. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Joanna, what about you? What? This big question. What so do you many, want people to know? So many similarities to Nikki. I just, I love, I love hearing another strong mama. Um, it's, it, when I think about me as a, as a parent and as an OT and all the hats that I wear, I just, I feel like people don't get sometimes how I'm an excellent MacGyver. Like I'm thinking constantly problem solving. I'm constantly thinking about out of the box. I'm constantly looking at systems and how, and I think a lot of parents do this and we don't even get credit for it or (laughs) or give ourselves credit for how much problem solving we really do in the moment and in the year and in the day and in the month. And um, it's, you know, and and I think that's universal as parents. I do. Um, But I think that for um, people with disabilities and, and caregivers of people with disabilities, we are working in systems that, that are harder to navigate those things in. So it's just like parenting to the 10th power, really, in a lot of ways. Everything is amplified, and especially if you have a child, you know, well, puberty and nonverbal, it's been a real MacGyver situation. So um, I often say I have to Nancy Drew this. I don't know what's going on, but I'm gonna have to Nancy Drew it. Um, so I would I would really like just everybody, parents and professionals alike, to understand that you know our brain is never off, um, and we don't get to go home, and we don't have a summer break, so our brains are tired. Um, <laughs> but I think the ultimate takeaway is that. Um, in my last few years, as my child has, has become more of an adult, and we're really looking ahead into the adult systems, I really would like people to actually listen to those with lived experience as autistic adults. Um, there is a community now that's vocal and self-advocates have a platform. And, and those are the keys to understanding people with autism and neurodiversity um, in a different way, in a positive way, and also know what we need to do differently. Um, and we need to listen to those lived experiences. Um, so that would be my, my key takeaway is get yourself to a podcast, get yourself to an Instagram page, get yourself to a blog, anything where you're listening to people who live with it 
um, who are living this day in, in this environment and thriving. Joanna, do you have a favorite that you can think of off the top of your head, a favorite name for folks to check oh, out? Oh gosh, I, I'm an Instagram girl. I have several on Instagram. They're easy to find. Um, hashtag self-advocate, hashtag um, actual autistic. Like you can, you can search it up, but you're really looking for people um, who are vocal. And sometimes it's really hard for me to listen to because I see mistakes that I've made and assumptions that I've made as a therapist and a parent. So it's really some hard looking at yourself sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as a parent, I'm learning to take a back seat. Um, as an advocate, as, as uh, okay, not a back seat, a side seat. Um, a <laughs> but but I'm learning to honor those perspectives more than my own mm -hmm. all right and soon we'll we'll check out your podcast MacGyver parenting or something like that <laughs> I can see it happening okay well you guys this has been amazing um, so great so great for all of us and I you know we um we um, have been asked about, well, how do you talk to parents and how do you know this stuff and how do you get to, and it's like, well, you, you actually just ask, like Nikki's saying, you actually just say, so what's hard? So what do you want me to know about your child? So how can I help you? What's your number one frustration? What's your biggest, what's your biggest battle right now? How can I be part of it? a solution? How can I, how can I um, make your life just a little bit easier? <laughs> how can I make your kiddo's life a little bit more enriched? Um, let's, let's, let's step out of the domain of the IEP. And does that fall under reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Like, like, come on, could we possibly just take a minute at the beginning and say, what do you want us to know? And what's your biggest struggle? And how can we be a team player in your life and in his life? And then go, what, what, which one of these IEPs goals even matter? And let's do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why it can't be that simple. <laughs> but anyway, right? you just solved the whole thing, Brenda, like spread that out to the world. That's I mean, it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. You done now. <laughs> this is our first and last podcast. There it is. <laughs> But we can't thank you guys enough. Really, really. Thank you so much for being candid. Thank you for being really honest and authentic and, um, and, and brave to share um, fears and, um, you know, re really how you're feeling about this, because you know, as you're even hearing each other share how supportive it feels to hear that you're not the only one going through this. So I hope it was fun for you and it was amazing for us. So thank yeah. you so much. And Thanks to our live audience who joined us today and we'll have this available as YouTube and audio only. So more to come. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.